you know, what one statistic that always stuck with me, and it's something that I'm mindful of every single day, is your zip code can be a stronger determinant of your quality of health than your genetic code. Hey, welcome to the Style is Free podcast. I'm your host, Brett Leibowitz. Today we have Kian Rajabi with us. He is a second year health tech master's student at Cornell Tech with me, uh, about to graduate soon. Also the resident karaoke master and silent disco entrepreneur, putting it on. <laughs> um, but yeah, he has some, a lot of experience with health technology, digital health, and love to hear his experiences. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, so what type of stuff do you have planned? Like, what do, you, what do you want to talk about? I know you have a startup that you're working on right now, focused on like, the elderly and like health, health for them. So what type of passions have you gone through? Like, what brought you to digital health and, and stuff like that? I was always really peripherally interested in healthcare. As a young kid, I looked at physicians as uh, these very altruistic servants to our, our communities and... I was very inspired by everything that that many of them do to heal the people. <laughs> and so I had some incidents with my own ill health in high school. And when I was in college, I was pre-med and there was an incident with my grandmother getting a stroke. And I saw someone that was at 87, one of the healthiest old people that I knew all of a sudden, a complete 180 in the condition of her health. And that was really, even though I always had an interest in health, I was experiencing everything firsthand. I was experiencing my mother looking for facilities. I was experiencing the difficulties in care coordination, the difficulties in us as a family getting the information that we needed. So as I was studying on this path to become a doctor, I was experiencing firsthand what was how the industry serves people and the various challenges that people are imposed with, whether it comes to billing, to getting the care that they need, setting up appointments and finding reliable doctors. So I really experienced everything firsthand and simultaneously around that time, 2011, was a very exciting time for digital health. In fact, I would say that is really when, as an industry, digital health uh, became popularized, but also the the tools that we needed to be successful in this space and if, to, to prime the industry for innovation was also happening during that time. And so it's a long story short, that's really what led to my interest in the space. And there, there were a lot of other factors that I attribute to that entry. That's awesome. Yeah, that's an inspiring story. Yeah, I, I have like some experience with digital health. I used to work at Epic Systems doing healthcare software. So yeah, I know like around that time, a lot of like Obamacare made a big push for digital health record and stuff like that, and a lot of entrepreneurship going around just in general and mm -hmm. probably focused on the health area. Yep. And yeah, I think like all of us can kind of at least in some way experience the difficulties it is with with health, with be it insurance or making appointments and just figuring out how to navigate through the system. Yeah, it's really interesting the the story you have too, where you you were going for pre med. You always like, you have this drive to heal people, and also seeing it firsthand with your, with your grandma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what type of projects are you working on now, like focused in in that area? So that's taken me on a variety of journeys. 
I feel like I've, I've wanted to learn about the industry uh, of all the, the different facets related to it. I first started my career at an accelerator. I was working at Startup Health, working very closely with entrepreneurs. I wanted to learn what it was like for people that were innovating in the space, what challenges they were experiencing. But then I found myself in consulting. I was working with payers and providers. Mm -hmm. So seeing it from a completely different perspective, that ultimately led to me starting the health tech program at Cornell Tech. And in those many years of being in healthcare, I think I've been able to experience it from different areas of the industry. And at Cornell Tech, I've been involved with a number of projects. Last semester, I was working with another student, Roy Cohen, on patient discharge instructions. We put it on ourselves to find a better way to do it. I've been involved with a number of different projects, whether you know, it comes to data, to improving a way patients are able to consume information. And so that's introduced me to a variety of different aspects of that's the industry. Cool. So you think the part of the problem with readmission is that patients don't know what to do. If they're following up a surgery or some sort of incident, they don't have the proper understanding of what to do, like how to help themselves heal, and then they're readmitted. Is that kind of the theory behind that? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that comes down to the behavioral principles that are at play. One of the things that's most challenging about patient discharge is there's a lot of difficulty in understanding really what what needs to be done and when to have a physician, when to call your physician to have them interfere. And so, you know, whether it's people adhering to the medications that they're provided um, or them just not understanding what needs to be done, I think there's a lot of difficulty in people because there's such an emphasis in our system to see primary care doc or see your specialist or your doctor. While there's a pl there's plenty of other healthcare professionals that are a part of the system, but I do think that, that is, there, there are n numerous barriers there that exist, uh, and I believe discharges are definitely one of those. Right, yeah, because they're kind of left on their own at that point, like maybe a follow-up in a few weeks or something, but there's no kind of, onerous is kind of all on them to follow these instructions that they don't really understand why the instructions are there, so it's hard for them to figure out that they have to go back into their life after an incident, so it can be very challenging, I would imagine. Totally. Were you able to figure out some techniques in order to make it easier on patients or help them with like discharge? Yeah, and that took us down in a, a very interesting path. And I think having that experience working with some of those patients, understanding what it was like, that actually led to the startup that I'm working on right now, Revercare, and a lot of our excitement in the space sprung from the conversations that we had with people that were discharged, not understanding. And so I think that led to our interest in, again, mobilizing other people to be involved in this. It's very difficult from a scalable sense for people's doctors to always be, always answering all their questions. And so we're looking at alternative models to allow us to bring others in the healthcare ecosystem that perhaps not necessarily providing medical advice, but there are a plethora of questions that, that people have, whether it's post-discharge or even mm -hmm. as an entry point into healthcare. Yeah, it's really interesting. The last company I was working at before coming here was a startup in North Carolina called Touchcare. They would sign up with companies as like 
per person per month sort of thing and it was a platform for people to ask whatever questions they need help them find the right doctors and stuff like that so yeah there's a huge issue like just some examples like pricing like an mri scan you get the same mri but it can rain have a huge difference of thousands of dollars depending on where you get it yeah there's like certain things like that where people just don't know they just get prescribed somewhere and they just go so that yeah, there's a whole i guess maybe health literacy almost yep. would be a term for it where people just don't know what to do and they just want and they're they're scared or worried or just want the best health and don't really know how to navigate that there's not a lot of transparency or just like pathways for that totally yeah i mean i think there's a lot of confusion and i think it you know what one statistic that always stuck with me and it's something that i'm mindful of every single day is your zip code can be a stronger determinant of your quality of health than your genetic code wow and there's a lot to unpack there, but that is indicative of the, not only the barriers, but also, I mean, there's a number of things in addition to what you mentioned about cost disparities, the prevalence of information, the access to physicians. Yeah. So back to your sorry, Revercare, primarily, what's the focus on that? This, so the idea stems from the challenges that my family experienced we're connecting people caring for elderly family members to care coaches who provide them with a personalized long-term plan. Cool. And we're really looking at solving two problems that exist in the space. The first one being the fact that there's no shortage of services, technologies, and products that aim to help people caring for elderly family members. But also there's the emotional element to what we were talking about earlier in terms of answering questions, um, but also just having someone that you can talk about your issues with, someone that is is supportive. I mean, one of the, the most depressing statistics about people that are caregivers, I believe it's 40 to 70% of the individuals exhibit signs of depression years after they're no longer a caregiver. And so I'm sure it elucidates the high levels of emotional stress that these individuals go through so we're really trying to tackle all that so you're not only focusing on the patient but also the caregivers and like making their process easier and i guess there's a, a demand for their mental health on top of them watching people's physical health you hit on the nail right there because i think the real challenge is very frequently and and we even see this whenever a caregiver takes a family member to an appointment you know, a lot of the conversation is about the care recipient, which certainly that, that should be the case. But we also would like to introduce the fact that many of these caregivers are emotionally isolated. They do need additional support. And they, on top of that, they would greatly benefit from a tech platform that is in their best interest. And so uh, we're, we're trying to bridge that gap. Cool. So what... Like, where do you see that going in the future? How how do you see just maybe even in general digital health expanding in the future? Are there a lot of cool startups you've been watching or just movements in the industry? Yeah, I think what's really exciting about the industry, as I said, it's a relatively new and emerging space. I think what's most exciting is we primarily saw a lot of early stage innovation over the past couple of years. But now we're actually starting to see mid to late stage. We're starting to see maturation in the market, which is extremely exciting. And I think there's billions of dollars of funding that's going into digital health products. And I think it's also evidenced, and I know you're very much interested in blockchain. There were five, a group of five, I believe they were only pairs, but I know United Health was one of them. 
in um, piloting blockchain for transferring medical records between institutions. Oh, so using the ledger for, for that. That's interesting. Yeah, and so I think what's really exciting about all that is you're seeing some of these big players that, you know, people say there's a lot of red tape because of the regulatory requirements. It's, you know, it's extremely exciting to see some of these bigger corporations having an interest in these technologies that are, are largely experimental at this stage, but if they work, they they have just incredible potential. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, my experiences with healthcare and especially the hospitals and everything, it's very, a lot of red tape, very difficult. I remember we had a contract for $70 that just would was never signed. Like it kept being months like this is what's stopping us from in, like implementing and doing stuff and it just moved so slow and it's such a industry that the technology could move fast. Like it has great things, but then there's also like regulations with FDA for any devices and stuff. So it's good reason to have proper regulations and make sure that everything checks out, but also can move very slowly compared to a lot of other industries that move very fast as well. So yeah, it's super interesting. I think that's one of the most crushing things for to, to hear from my friends that are physicians. As I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I was very much interested in being a doctor because I, I thought it was an extremely altruistic path and I, I still think it is. But unfortunately, much of the time physicians are spending at, at their offices is filling out paperwork, is you know on the phone with insurance companies, and there's the age-old battle between the providers and the payers with the patients in the middle. And so unfortunately, those those are a lot of the constraints. And it's very difficult speaking to doctors that go into this, go into medicine because they want to heal patients, but they unfortunately are not able to because of the existing environment. And do you see that getting better, the existing environment? Do you see ways that people are starting to improve it or ideas that are kind of gaining traction? Yeah, I, I definitely see th- there are actually very clear examples in the industry where it's working <laughs> and fortunately we do have players like the FDA that are much more receptive to new technologies i think we're dealing with a number of challenges because a lot of the technologies that innovators are coming up with are actually not ready for the existing regulatory environment so i think for folks that are tackling early stage innovation there there are barriers there but fortunately, there are examples where, whether it's on the EMR side with electronic medical records or technologies like blockchain, wearables, there's opportunity to, um, I, to, to actually get approval for some of these projects. Yeah. No, that's all, that's all awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where all those go and to hear how, how your startup goes. I know you guys had the startup competition in a few weeks and yeah. super exciting stuff. Yeah, we're excited about it. Like I said, there's a, a lot of heart going into this. We Our, our parents have, have gone through this firsthand, and as their children, we've definitely become attuned to supporting in, in the ways we believe our unique strengths best position us to. And as technologists, I believe there's an opportunity for us to, to really have an impact. That's great. 
Yeah, I, I love that passion. And like, I know I, I see you volunteering at the Roosevelt Island Community Center, like playing piano with them. Like, I, I know you're very dedicated on this stuff. I'm like, every time, I, even I just seeing you in the videos doing that, like, makes me happy. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Cool, man. Well, it was great having you on the show. It was awesome talking about digital health and where the market's going and all your passion stories, too. It was really great. Cool. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Sure. Thanks, Keon. Thank you for tuning in to the digital health episode with Keon. Please keep an eye out for new episodes coming soon. We got a full week of bookings and recordings going on in the studio nonstop. Getting this podcast to y'all. So please keep an eye out and tune in next time, friends, to the Style is Free podcast. I'm your host, Brett Liebwood.